I'm Alexandra Kreis and you're listening to Outer Travel in a Journey. Journeying now for 30 years into the life and practice of yoga, I have met many who have taken interesting turns when past extraordinary bumps and reached unexpected places. People with whom I shared conversations about everyday struggles, intimate realizations, larger questions, ideas and dreams. So today I'm passing on the mic to one of them so we could hear and celebrate the wisdom in people's differences and experiences. show today I have Elisa Mary Collins. Hello Elisa, how are you? I'm great, thank you so much for having me. It's good to have you, although we barely know each other, this is like the few incidents where I'm going into uncharted water with my guest, um, but I've read Elisa's books, uh, book, what that, one book, even though you published already two, I understand. Uh, did you? Yeah. And I have three, three books. Yeah. Do you have three books? Okay. Mm. This is me doing the intro again all over wrong. This happens to me all the time. I think I'm well informed. Anyway, so my dear guest listener, you know me by now and my funny introductions. Um, so Elisa is actually a genitologist. Can, can we say that? Or uh, how do you say that? And a yoga teacher. And you're interested in passing on um, the knowledge of Ayurveda like I do through the wisdom of Ayurveda. And why we are here together is because Elisa, who lives in San Francisco Bay, has had always a love for older people. And she really came to study older people and their behaviors and what makes old people thrive so they become centenarians. Yes, and that's what the book is about that I got really revved up about the super ages. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you came to study all the people or what is your relationship and how you got hooked into it? Yeah, so a couple ways. One is I had already published two books and my publisher actually came to me with the idea. So it was funny, but I felt like it was uh, something that came from outside, but came from a higher source. It came to me. And yeah. so my mentor in publishing said, we need a book called Super Ager. Can you write that book? And I, I didn't know what the word meant at the time. I said, I just said, what is a super ager? But I also knew, I didn't know what it was, but I knew on some deep level, I wanted to be a super ager. I wanted to learn about super agers and I wanted to write that book. <laughs> Something just sparked inside of me. Yeah, so, How come, why did they ask you that? I mean, there must be something. What, what are the other two books? Let's start with the other two books then. <laughs> I wrote a book called, my first book was Chakra Tonics and it was Drinks for Your Chakras. Ah, okay. So it was all about I the haven't chakras. heard about that either. Yeah, you can have <laughs> drinks for your chakras, really. Like, are they herbal drinks or are, what kind of yeah. drinks are they? Yeah. Teas and smoothies and um, yeah, just maybe like almond milk, Based, really simple drinks. But also there's something nice about connecting because chakras, you know, they're not something tangible, but you can, you know, 
pick up your tea and drink it and think about, oh, this drink is rooting me. So it starts to bring in all levels of being. So that was the idea behind chakra tonics. Yeah. Teach you about the chakras. It could nourish you and it could also help you integrate those ideas that are very, um, they're not something that we grow up with in the West. You know, chakras mm -hmm. are sort of like, what are they? They're not, yeah. I can't, I can't hold them in my hand. Mm -hmm. And the second book was? Uh, an A to Z guide to healing foods. Oh, and are this, is this based, I mean, as we talk traditions and um, people are always curious about where the roots are from, you know, so where do these healing foods come from that you were I writing think about? I wrote about mainly healing foods that you could find um, pretty easily. And a lot of the foods now you can find them very easily either online or in the grocery store. And I, I actually was going to, it was supposed to be a very small book. I mm -hmm. have it behind me. I can show it to you in the end, but it ended up being much bigger. Like it was supposed to be part of a series of like little tiny books that you could carry around with you. But I mm -hmm. loved researching all the healing foods so much. <laughs> it was, it was more like a, like this size book, like super ager. Ah, great. You got it there. Yeah. I tried to base it on, you know, I tried to give people a little bit of, different philosophies like there's a there's a couple pages on macrobiotic diet ayurveda traditional chinese medicine because they all have a little bit different angle yeah. and i think each one of us gravitates to something and, and maybe goes with that and there could be different reasons behind that but my idea was i was a mom i mean i'm still a mom but at the time feeding my son i was looking for inspiration and i like your outer in inside out kind of thing like where oh i read about it and then that makes me think oh let's make that because you always get bored you know yeah make the same thing or you want some to get some inspiration brilliant and so i still don't see the connection and then they approached you and asked you to write about super agers so tell me about that why do they ask you <laughs> why did they ask you my 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 friend and mentor in publishing uh she she knows trends i think that that's part of you know the the way publishers think is i, I think it's different they're they're looking at trends out there in the world bigger bigger picture trends and mm -hmm. i think she saw the connection just like she saw with with uh chakras you know chakras now they're much more known but i wrote that book oh 15 years ago and that chakras weren't such a big thing so mm -hmm. things trend and change. There's a huge number of older adults, you know, the number of older adults is increasing, increasing around the world. So that's the trend and people are wanting to age differently. So I think she saw that she sees keywords mm -hmm. and, and I think it's a bit of kismet. Like there's something where just how do ideas arrive and they arrive hopefully in the right yeah. place at the right time. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yes, I love this idea. Yeah. And so can we reveal a little bit about um, the book? Because next to the habits that you described that we both teach from Ayurveda, like the things that don't require you to um, know so much about your own body type in the first place, but the things that are given by nature to everybody to align themselves 
you use that concept of the dinar chaya, as we call it, the um, daily movements and um, observances, I would almost say. Um, you use that to propel that into the work to centenarians or like how they can benefit from aligning with nature, right? Is, is that? Yes, yes. Well, what I found fascinating about studying older adults was that, um, and I, then I ended up getting a gerontology degree because I loved it so much. I wanted to learn more and I found out that it was something you could study. Mm. So in, in the study of gerontology is just simply the study aging, but you can't isolate someone's life. You can't just study this part of their life, like, and measure it from maybe 50 to 100 or 65 to 100, however you want to slice it. Because that part of life is, before that, you, all of life led you to that point, right? Mm, yeah. So, you know that in Ayurveda, I think that, this is my thing, I think gerontology is like the Western, the Western Ayurveda, because you have to study everything. It's mm. not isolated. Most ah. um, social sciences and sciences in Western thinking are, are very narrowed down, drilled down. I've always been attracted to multidisciplinary. Uh, my undergraduate degree was multidisciplinary, and I like to put everything together. So gerontology is multidisciplinary. So the centenarians, everything that got them to live to 100, it, it started literally at birth, just like Ayurveda, mm. everything, every step of the way. Yeah. Think how people live their life. So that's what I find very interesting and totally relates to the Dinacharya. In I see. You cannot just uh, swirl around your life in the last 10 years and say like, this is it. I mean, you can sw uh, swirl it around to, to be become a little bit more uh, easeful, but probably not uh, if you've been living like shit <laughs> your entire life. Although, you know, saying that, having said that, I've been following Krishna Das a little bit, you know, and what I heard about his life, I mean, he went deep into drugs and depression and came out of it and went back in and if anything, I see him thriving as coming closer and closer to the hundreds. I mean, he's not there yet, but uh, keep my fingers crossed. And I could almost see that for him. So is there ex um, exceptions to the rules? Is there anything you've come across? I think that the, I don't know if I'd call it um, exceptions to the rules, but being supported by family, by friends, by community. And Krishna Das is a great example because he's got a great supportive community. Mm. I think that is what I found in research is more powerful than we than, than I ever thought. I thought, oh, diet and exercise is everything. But then I started to dig into the research and look at older adults. And if they have a supportive group of friends and family, social connections are huge and your thinking, your mindset. Mm -hmm. I think that the, the Dinacharya supports that though. So mm. the more in that positive state, people want to be around you. You know, when, if you think of older adults that you want, they're, they're fascinating. And when they're in balance, you just want to, you want to listen to them, hear their stories, hear their wisdom. Not yeah. every single older adult has that. Some of them <laughs> might, might be more out of balance. 
but those are the older adults I want to be around. Yeah. And this is common to be mentioned in people who are interdisciplinary, like I am, um, is that we are a little bit saddened by the fact that we culturally have fallen apart as such between the different uh, generations, that we don't intersect generations as often as other cultures still do. Where do we find these cultures, actually, I would be interested, do you know, who are still intersecting generations or have people live under one roof? Well, the blue zones, uh, the blue zones always have interaction. And a professor that I studies, studied with found that centenarians, not just in the blue zones, he also studied them um, in India, where because maybe some, so let's, let's start with blue zones. Let me just explain. Yes, let's explain just, blue zones. <laughs> and I'll explain about other cultures. So blue zones are five areas in the world where geographically uh, people live the live over, there's more centenarians, mm -hmm. more people living over 100 than any other place. Okay. So I'm just going to say one thing that's important is that all of those places, um, they have to have a birth certificate because this is Western science. There has okay. to be a birth certificate. Mm -hmm. We want the proof. There's a few other places where um, my professor specifically studied in India um, and went and did field studies in, in the uh, Spice Mountains above Kerala. And he's mm -hmm. actually from Kerala. There's no birth certificates. But to me, it's like nobody's gonna lie about your age, they're not going to be, you know, and you know, you, you can, you can trace it back to historical events. And I mean, maybe there's a year or two, but when you're 100, 110, there's super mm. centenarians who are over 110. Um, I don't think anybody's, you know, so let's just say that I believe them <laughs> if they're that age. Yeah, that is a very kind of dicey area because I also know of people and I have read about peoples in some of uh, my teacher's books, you know, like Robert Swoboda talks about his teacher and he talks about um, sadhus he met that were about 300 years old, you know, and can't prove it and are not about to prove it. So we are talking still like people who think in a dualistic world uh, open for spirituality. But <laughs> But what is more fascinating that you're not only cred credentializing or um, giving credentiality to the age, but to the factor that there is that it's common, the blue zones kind of describe areas where it's common that you can get old with, you know, without a blink of an eye, so to speak, <laughs> um, a little bit more in a laid back manner. So you you, you, we were stuck on that point. So you say that the conditions and the intersections of generation is mostly happening in blue zones. That's where we got stuck, I think. Yeah, so a lot of, um, well, for one thing, to respect and um, really just enjoy older adults, not think of them as like, oh, they're out of it or they don't know what's going on. Let's put them further away from society, that's just not part of the blue zones. They're more traditional places. And four of them are geographically isolated. So they never got the message that it's bad to be old. Mm. And, you know, they just didn't have that in 
uh, one of the places, uh, Sardinia, which is an island in Italy, and that's where men live, the most men live to be over 100. And one of the reasons they believe is because these men are shepherds and they walk these crazy steep hills most of their life, like seven to 10 miles daily, and not just flat, but they're going up, up, up <laughs> with um, their, their shepherds of goats and they're taking the goats yeah. around. Hmm. So, yeah, so, <laughs> so yeah, so they have a, what I wanted to say was they have a calendar for men that are over a hundred. So instead of having a calendar, you know, for all, for maybe like, sometimes it's like a pinup girl <laughs> men that are over a hundred. Those yeah. are the people that are, are celebrated. So the centenarians yeah. are on the calendar and how exciting and, and interesting these men that are over a hundred are. Yeah, and you you were mentioning that we are ready to um, discard old people because sometimes of their kind of strict worldview. I mean, we've probably all intersected with some elder people on the street and sometimes they seem so sweet and then they kind of unpack all their things <laughs> and the loveliness goes away. But why... Did you come across your uh, in your research? Did you come across why do we do that? Is it like we are only interested in the new, or um, why are we not seeing the wisdom in what they have to say? Do they not package that right? Package, how <laughs> that sounds. But do they not <laughs> talk the right language um, for us? Or why is it that we have stopped the intersection with them? Yeah, well, good question. I don't know. I, I think it started with individualism and um, especially the United States is a very individualistic culture. So if we're only looking at what I call the form, you know, the form and the fire element, if we think of it all as fire and competition and just what we see on the surface, hmm. then yeah, you would think that older people are useless because the, it's all about your body and your body is falling apart. But as we know, as yoga teachers and yoga health coaches, there's more, but there's, there's this, what you want to call it, spirit or essence, whatever your beliefs are, there's something inside you that is so much more than your physical body. So I think somehow when we disconnected from that, uh, we lost this this importance of growing older, because that is the Vata, the inspiration stage of life. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want to, I want to bring that back, because I think we need it more than ever, especially mm -hmm. in our country, in the United States, we're um, in a, a very divisive time. And so I think that the wisdom of of seeing the big picture of the Vata stage of life is much needed now and being vulnerable, you know, mm. being vulnerable because you are vulnerable. You need help when you're older. Yeah. People could take advantage of an older person because they, they maybe don't have as much physical strength or your mind gets a little slower. You can work to like, you can work to alleviate that or, or um, mitigate that. Mm. But um, yeah. Let's go back to the blue zones. You said there's five, and then you suddenly mentioned five places in Europe. You know, Sardinia, I used to live in Ireland. I was in Sardinia. So I'm familiar with all the places you mentioned in, 
um, Europe, but what are what do I do you mean by zones? Now I'm losing a little bit the side of um, how do we define blue zones? Yeah, well, they're environments and places where demograph demographers could go and find a high number of people who are living and they could verify their birth certificates that were living over 100. The reason they call it blue zones is because literally the first demographer circled the area and I think the first place was in Sardinia and they circled that area with a blue pen and said this area is a blue zone. Oh. So then they just it became a term you know blue zone. It became a thing. And what is so special about these areas? I mean, you said, okay, the, the men in particular, they engage in physical activity, obviously. If they climb, they are out in nature, they're out in wind and weather, they're not interested in electronics as we are, you know, and they also stay away, obviously, from the beating of the daily onslaught of bad news, like you know, newspapers and whatever we engage with. What else is characteristically for for the blue zone or is there anything else to it? Yeah, there's so many, there's so many uh, commonalities and then each one has a few unique things that are of interest. And I mentioned one of them, which is the men live longer in Sardinia. Yeah. And so some of the commonalities are moving naturally. Nobody goes to the gym. Uh, and their eating habits are all a little different because of course that's based on your environment and as i mentioned before four of the places are traditional more more traditional cultures and they were geographically isolated so do you want me to name the the five yeah, please okay <laughs> let's see if i can do them sometimes i forget one but there's icaria in greece the nicoya yeah. peninsula costa rica and then there is uh Sardinia, Okinawa, Japan, uh -huh. and then Loma Linda, California. And that's the, the exception. Loma Linda is where there's a high concentration of Seventh-day Adventist. And that's a religion, a Christian religion. But it's very interesting. They were always, uh, always very interested in health. And they formed a strong community. Mm -hmm. If you think of uh yeah many kellogg's cornflakes which is a cereal now it's not really thought of as a health food but when it started that was kind of an unusual uh healthy breakfast back back maybe a hundred years ago and that brand was started by seventh day adventist so mm. they were always trying to look for healthy ways of living and they self-isolated and the reason i think that's interesting is because i think that shows us that in the modern era, we could we could set up an environment that mm. would be like a blue zone. We don't necessarily have to geographically isolate ourselves, but we could set things up where we're supporting each other. So a question that came up um, earlier for me was in if we would love to live a hundred years and more, um, what do you think are is the benefit of that to society? And the other question, I'm gonna put it right here, is do, do we need to move to blue zones? I mean, you almost answered that, so maybe you wanna 
start with the second question. <laughs> okay, so the benefits of centenarians, and then the other one was, do we need to move to blue zones? No, I don't think you need to, to move to blue zones, but how can you surround yourself with people that support you? And if you are planning, not everybody wants to live a long life. Let's, let's just put that on the table. Not everybody cares, but a lot of people are interested. And I also would add that living a long life, those habits also help you to live a full life, a more satisfying and happy life, mm. in my opinion. Mm. So the benefits of having centenarians around are they tell stories. They've seen life and history. I think there's something where, you know, I kind of see it like a, maybe a mountain that we're circling around and we keep coming back to the same problems and mm -hmm. the same, you know, I, and when we talk about intergenerational conversations and relationships, I think that's where there's something that helps evolution when we have um, the new ideas and then we have the things that, you know, you can't, <laughs> like there's no bullshit. You know, I just did a talk with somebody who's a therapist and he's, he didn't say his age, but he said he was getting closer to 80 and mm -hmm. he just had these great wise things to say mm -hmm. about life and about practice. and all the things that he experienced. And there's just something like, wow, I learned a lot from him where he sits. He can see the new things, but he's not so much caught up in every new thing. He's staying, you know, I think because sometimes when you're young, I mean, you've got fire, you've got excitement, everything new, everything new. And there's an energy. We need that energy to propel the world forward, but we also need that, that view. And I think, it's the air element, the view of the elders, where they look and see the bigger picture. And they're mm. watching things that the younger people might not see. Mm. So maybe for them. Yeah, and yeah. they have nothing to chase because they feel like they are already satisfied with their lives, you know. So all there is to do is to be, I imagine, you know. You probably have come across more super ages than I have, but uh, I imagine from a place of when you are noticing you're getting older and maybe you also are taken care of. I think that's one of the things we talk about here. If your body is okay, if your mind is okay, if you're financially supported, all you're missing is probably community and good rhythms, you know, to, to keep going and thriving and staying in your joy, staying out of the madness of the shiny object syndrome, whatever we call it these days, fears of missing out or in the FOMO. And then in that, it's almost the highest, it's almost what everybody is trying to teach us on the spiritual path, right? The, what the Buddhists talk about and what um, the yogis talk about and the Vedis talk about is these like, just be, just see what's coming your way. And they already living that because there's nothing to chase no longer, right? Yeah, I would say that's a great way of putting it. I think centenarians and older adults learn to detach. They probably wouldn't have gotten to where they are unless they understood the importance of friends, of family, of not, you know, turning off the TV, not listening to it, uh, or not being caught up in 
you know, that detachment, that's the view. I've seen this before. I've seen, they've seen cycles. I do want to say though, that often um, older adults do have goals. Mm. And even if they seem, um, well, there's, there's one of my teachers did a video of a, a super centenarian. I believe he was uh, 116 and he's one of the elders that live in the Spice Mountains. And I can even give you the video because you, you can put it in the yeah, podcast notes. We love it's an amazing video because he's, he's a spiritual teacher in his community. And he says that he's looking forward to uh, being the officiant over his, I think it's his great, great, great granddaughter, great, great something granddaughter's wedding. And sh- right now she's at the time of the video, she's two years old. So he's believing he's going to live another 15 years. He's already 116, but that gets him up every morning. You know, he may or may not live that long, but you know, we need those things to urge us on. It's a balance. It's a balance of he is being, you can see in the video, he walks, he does things every day. He enjoys nature. And then he has these goals and we didn't talk about kids. So I'll just throw this in with the super centenarian because all the kids in the village and in that video, you can see they love to spend time with this man and they love to hear his stories. Kids love stories. So there's a beautiful synergy that we don't have as much, especially uh, in Europe and in the West where sometimes people move for a job and they move away from parents and grandparents. So the, the bond between um, grandchildren and grandparents is very special because the kids naturally don't judge the older adults, even in, even in our Western culture, and they see the value. I think kids just naturally see that value and love to hear the stories and love to hang out with their grand, grandparents. Yeah, um, it reminds me because you mentioned Ireland um, earlier on and it really triggered something in me because I lived there for a very long time and what I noticed and what I was aching for and missing was what they often celebrate much more, even if they don't celebrate it, but it's natural to them to kind of have these regular meetings, these regular phone calls. (laughs) And I certainly don't have that with my family, although we also had a big family, but in Germany that wasn't so supportive or it was more about the individuality and, you know, uh, making your own way and, you know, finding your own family. And in Ireland, they are super connected still. And also then you, you, you get to, when you have all these intersections, it's like a whole tribe raises one child. It's not like they, they have a lot of kids usually in Ireland or they used to have, but they also have the tribal view. They, they often don't see themselves alone with the fact that they have that. And one of my good and dear friends moved to Berlin, um, not with me, but long before me from Ireland, and she adopted a grandmother, a German grandmother. Can you believe that? And it was so funny. I was like, wow, she is really knowledgeable about like how you have to to make your own tribe in a foreign city, you know. Hmm. That's a great story. I love that. Yeah. Hmm. So who, why would you recommend um, people to read your book, Super Asia? What can they learn from that? I recommend reading my book because I tried to put two 
layers in the book. One is, I would say, more prescriptive. Mm -hmm. And as both Alexandra, it's say Alexandra, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Alexandra and I are both yoga health coaches. And we know and we've studied Ayurveda, the practices, especially the daily practices. That's important. And I also put in things about social, you know, being social. Think about if you live a long life, you want to have many friends because not everyone's going to live as long if you're 100 years old. Mm -hmm. You might need to make younger friends too. Yeah. <laughs> and the other layer is I tell stories of older adults in the book because if you don't have grandparents or, you know, not everybody was a, grew up around their grandparents or grew up, as you said, in individualistic societies, mm. we may, you know, maybe our uh, family of origin moved away from grandparents or great grandparents. We maybe talked to them on the phone or maybe they didn't, maybe they weren't alive. There's so many different ways that we may not be in contact with older adults. So when you read about the stories of older adults that are thriving and living well, it sparks a different part of your brain, not just like, oh, I should do this and this is what I should do, but it opens you to possibilities. Stories affect many regions in our brain and they wake us up. So I put stories in there of many older adults to give you possibilities and hope. Yeah, and they're beautiful stories. Uh, as I said, you know, I really loved your book and I was amazed about the blue zone effect and I looked up Grace and I was already scheming, how do I get there? And it's really remote and it's isolated and it's scary to think about that, that, that that's necessary. But how I think about my life these days is that it's isolated enough, but what you're giving to me right now and what I'm hearing, and maybe the listener is hearing that too, maybe it would be good to branch out a little bit more, you know, just really to branch out beyond family. And this is what we both are trying to do. We're trying to create tribes. We're trying to say like beyond your family and beyond your nearest, dearest friends that not so many maybe have um, kept from school days or, you know, like because I moved a whole lot of times and you moved a whole lot of time. I mean, you didn't move, but you, you traveled and I lost many of my friends and I changed a lot and now I, um, looking for new interconnections and we're both trying to do that for everybody we can make these family or these kind of supportive interconnections if we open ourselves up to the vulnerability of life as you say it you know like or not that life is vulnerable but we are vulnerable in life and so the more people keep our minds uplifted and supported the more we can you know look at a healthy um, thriving life over the next few decades, hope, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. I think you can always, that's something you can always look out to new people, to make new friends, to even have your own um, family of choice. You can choose, you know, because some people maybe have an unhealthy family. Yeah. And they might need to choose a different family but it's really important to surround yourself with supportive people yeah i think that is so important to to see that and to really see whether people want to um 
connect with you and hold you up to your dreams and visions. I mean, this is what we kind of both speak that language um, through Kate Stillman, who was on this podcast as well. But um, if you're interested and haven't listened to it, but it's it's exactly that um, noticing, like even the Krishna Das example I gave by accident, you know, but that made sense to me that that sense of um, if there's a whole lot of people cheering with you because you you are open hearted, then it gives you thrive. Yeah, I, I definitely see that in the sanghas mm, around these people. Mm. One last word to the audience. Is there anything you want to give as advice? <laughs> or, uh, yeah, do you have anything to leave us with? Yeah, I think um, I like what you just said, being open-hearted. I think that that's what I learned from older adults. They open their heart uh, for the most part, especially as you get to be um, what we would call in gerontology, the oldest of old, over 85, uh, living with an open heart. And yeah, maybe connect to an older adult. I love your friend that adopted a German grandmother because that's from the heart. You know, that's yeah. not, what is she gaining from that? Maybe an open heart, I believe. And, and that yeah. maybe sounds when we look at the surface, oh, that's maybe we would think a waste of time. But no, she's gaining something beyond measure, which is oh, that yeah. open-hearted connection from generation to generation. Thank you, Elise, um, for spending time with us today. And best luck. Are you planning another book or are you just going to help this book a little bit more on the road? Uh, I don't have anything specifically planned. Mm -hmm. I am just, it, it is a lot of work to write a book. So I'm, I'm continuing to promote this one and just enjoy uh, learning and spreading the word about superagers. But we'll see. I definitely will write more books when they come to me. Okay, thank you so much. And by the way, it's, I already saw it's an Amazon bestseller. Uh, you might not be a fan of Amazon, but if uh, it's, it says something, I think you can be proud of. So Superager by Elise Marie Collins, go and buy it and enjoy it and listen to the story she has to tell. Okay, goodbye. Thank you. If you enjoy listening to my podcast, please consider to become a patron at patreon.com slash Alexandra Kreis and pledge your donation.